This episode is sponsored by the International Sports and Music Project, also known as ISMP. ISMP is a 501c3 nonprofit whose purpose is to increase access to sports, art, and music programming in shelters, refugee camps, orphanages, and vulnerable communities throughout the world as a means of bolstering positive mental health. The organization is active in Rwanda, Uganda, Micronesia, Greece, and New York City. On this episode, we have Jason Steinberg. Jason turned a stint with World Teach into a 501c3 nonprofit called International Sports and Music Project that provides sports and music equipment and instruction in far reaches of the globe, including refugee populations. Jason, thank you so much for being on our show. Thank you so much. I'm really excited to be here. I appreciate the theme. You've got such a compelling story, what you've done globally <laughs> um, at such a young age uh, in your areas of passion between sports and music. Um, I think so many people are going to be inspired by, by your story. Um, but let's go back to where it began. Um, you grew up in New York, yes? Sure, yes. I appreciate the, the kind words. And um, I, grew up in, I grew up in New York in the and I think what was a pretty standard suburban upbringing. That <laughs> <laughs> uh, was Long Island? It was, but don't hold it against me. <laughs> a lot of good people. Yeah, no. Long Island. <laughs> Absolutely. No, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm being facetious. Um, I had a very, a very good, you know, grateful, grateful to have had a really good upbringing um, in a good community um, with a, with a good family. I feel incredibly privileged, um, to have had that, to have had that upbringing. And I, I imagine your passion for, uh, basketball and music kind of started in that era. So what, what instrument did you play? Definitely. Um, so I played all kinds of things. <laughs> um, you know, w at a very young age, I wasn't super into music. Um, and then at sort of an angsty age, I found hip hop and, and that was what I sort of learned to love music through. Nice. Um, and just went totally all in. And I, you know, I, 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 I um, appreciated the lyrics and how it was poetic and that people were, were, were fighting for, for things they believed in. And, um, and there was also great music. Um, and then I ended up playing trombone in, 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 in the school band, but that was only because I got my third choice. <laughs> you know, I really wanted to play drums or saxophone or, <laughs> or something that I thought was really cool. And most yeah. kids only had to make two, two options, but if your two options were drums and sax, you needed a third. So oh, I picked oh, drums and sax oh. and got trombone. Oh, um, but yeah, and then, you know, uh, yeah, that's okay. That's okay. My trombone career didn't last very long. <laughs> um, but, uh, but, yeah, then I, yeah, around maybe, I don't even know the exact age, but around 13 or 14, I started playing um, guitar. I, I, I started playing some piano, um, one or two lessons here or there, but mainly mainly just, you know, going on YouTube and learning some things, sharing insights with friends, that kind of thing. And, nice. and so music, yeah, for a long time, my parents are big into music. It's been a big piece of my life. And I'm the sports front too. Um, never the best athlete in the, in the world, but... Um, definitely loved sports um, and played all kinds of things from football to baseball to lacrosse and soccer and, and everything in between. Um, and yeah, both, you know, even at a young age before I realized it, sports and music were, were pieces of my life that were playing an important role and were, 
things I could fall back on and things I could get a lot of benefits from on a personal level, even though I wasn't really aware of everything that was at play at the time. Yeah. yeah. Wow, that's superb. And so um, your choice of UNC, is that because of being a basketball fan? So I'm guessing that it subconsciously played a role, if not consciously. Um, I, I I grew up a UNC basketball fan for no reason other than it was, it was, they were cool. You know, they were cool and they were good. Right. Um, you know, all the other sports interests in my life were, were a result of, of, of it being passed down to me through family members. Um, but there wasn't really a strong college basketball rooting interest. And as a young kid who loved basketball, um, I mean, there was nothing cooler than, you know, the Carolina Blue. I mean, Michael Jordan and Vince Carter and Rashid Wallace. And then by the time I was really paying attention, it was like, you know, the Tyler Hansbrough and Danny Green teams, you know, for anyone who, <laughs> who's been following along um, with UNC basketball. Um, but it was more just, it seemed like a good place um, to have a, a well-rounded experience. You know, the sports piece I thought would lead to some fun times. <laughs> it definitely did. Um, but there was also, you know, some really good classes and some incredible professors and um, a, a major that sounded really interesting to me. And so um, I also wanted to, you know, maybe this was the beginning of me wanting to step outside my comfort zone a little bit. Mm -hmm. I hadn't really spent much time in, in, in the, the Southeast. Um, so, yeah, there was a lot of factors that, that ended up leading to the stars aligning. Yeah, nice. Uh, well, share with us a bit about this uh, major. It's it's quite unique. Sure. So um, I majored in peace, war, and defense, mm -hmm. um, and I had been minoring in, in music as well. And peace, war, and defense is is unique. <laughs> it's quite interesting. Um, I did learn that there's you know maybe a little more um, war than 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 the peace <laughs> we used to joke that it's like peace in little tiny letters and then war and defense in really big bold letters yeah, um but it it gave me a, a really interesting understanding of different perspectives um i had a lot of classes with with students from different parts of the country than me i had a lot of classes with students who were rotc um had classes about terrorism and peace building and um, international affairs and development and uh, conflict and all that kind of all that kind of history security based um, stuff and it it definitely gave me a really interesting perspective and, and taught me to realize if nothing else that most hard questions in international affairs don't have simple answers yeah it's true. and I think at a younger age in school you're sort of taught that questions have answers and that you can go find the answers. Yeah. Um, but then when you're, when you're given a really unique and challenging real world situation from the battlefield about the ethics of doing one move versus the other based on projections of what might you know, occur, you realize what a difficult job it is for people who are making these decisions um, and that was a good that was a good takeaway for me, because I think it it took down this idea that there are people I agree with and there are people that I disagree with. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and I realized it was much more nuanced than that, yeah. and that I had a lot to learn from everyone. Yeah, um, yeah. So it was great.
conflict resolution being what it is, is uh, very, very complex. Um, and, uh, and I was just, you know, curious, like what um, era or conflict or um, war um, like was most eye-opening for you to study? I like modern, I like modern war. I don't know if it's, if, if that's sort of a crutch because it's, it's more accessible. Um, well, it has more relevance but, for our future because we, you know, we, we know how World War II ends. Right, right, <laughs> exactly, um, exactly. And so I enjoyed all the Cold War stuff um, and just seeing how it unfolds into the, into the current, the current situation that we're living in, um, yeah. which is particularly strange, you know, um, but yeah, I mean, I love the Vietnam era stuff and, and the Korean war and, and really everything that happened since world war two, um, is particularly interesting to me because I, I, it's easier for me to see how those things led to where we are. I really want to be sure we, we spend time focusing on is this um, nonprofit that you started, International Sports and Music Project, which I remain so impressed with. And um, I, I love Thank how you. you share the story about um, how you ended up in the Federated States of Micronesia. And so for the benefit of our audience, uh, please uh, share, with that, uh, share that with us now. Absolutely. I appreciate it. When I was getting ready to graduate from college, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. And my heart was set on doing something weird or doing something interesting um, <laughs> before I got sucked into whatever real life was alleged to be. <laughs> and I started looking into opportunities like the Peace Corps, like, um, teaching gigs, volunteer gigs, farming, um, working at hostels. You know, I wanted to see the world a bit. And I ended up through an organization called World Teach uh, being placed as a high school teacher in the Federated States of Micronesia, which wow. is a series of islands um, out in the Pacific Ocean, um, like east of Asia and the part of the map that we're not really instructed to look at very much uh, in, 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 in Long Island, I guess. Um, but I get there and it's, it's an incredibly beautiful place with the best people I've ever met. Um, the most generous, warm, um, interesting people I've ever met. And in my first couple of weeks of, of teaching, I see kids in the back of my classroom, high school students, so 15, 16 years old, pretending to shoot air jump shots, calling out LeBron, Steph, you know, the way that I've done my entire life. Um, and that sort of excited me because I'm a big, you know, sports fan. I coached a little bit in college and um, I approached them saying, are you guys on some sort of team? Or are you guys like playing ball? They're like, we love playing ball, but there's no team. <laughs> so together we, we said, all right, let's start playing. You know, we know there's a court down the street tomorrow, you know, after school, let's, let's all go play. And we show up to this court covered in palm fronds and what have you. And uh, about 30 kids show up for this first day of whatever it is we're trying to do, play basketball. Um, it wasn't really more complicated than that. It was just like, let's go play basketball. <laughs> and the first issue we run into um, 
a pretty big one is that we didn't have a basketball. <laughs> and luckily, luckily, one of my students who lived in the in a close by village to the school said, you know, give me 15 minutes, and he sprints away and comes back with with a with a ball. And amazing, we start playing. Yeah, we start playing, and uh, we're having an amazing time. But it doesn't take me long to realize that I'm the only one wearing sneakers. Yep. And after two hours of playing really intense basketball barefoot uh, or in flip-flops, as some of the, the students were, people naturally had some cuts on their feet, some injuries. Yeah, yeah. Now, the students didn't make a peep about this. Um, they were playing as hard as I've ever seen anyone play. Um, and they seemingly were having a good time. But still, I'm a teacher at the school. And these two hours, the two hours end, and I'm looking at my students. and many of them have injuries uh, on their feet specifically. Yeah. And I asked them, how are you guys getting home from school? They say, well, we're walking. I say, well, what do you mean you're walking? I thought you guys get a bus. They say, yeah, we do. But you told us to come to basketball. <laughs> so we missed the bus. Oh. And, and I knew that for some of them, that meant walking home up to 10 miles back to their village. Unbelievable. Wow. And it's, it's worth pointing out that that teenagers everywhere, you know, have challenges in their lives. People everywhere have challenges in their lives, but teenagers in Micronesia, um, or particularly on the island where I live, Pompeii, they have a lot on their plate. Yeah. You know, there's the general things affecting everyone, like poverty is, you know, there's, there's a lot of poverty there and suicide rates and depression rates are, are relatively high. Um, but even beyond that, families are relying on teenagers to do pretty much everything. Um, they have to clean, they have to cook, they have to care for their family, they have to fish, they have to farm. Now, what, and, is that cultural, Jason, or is it like life expectancy is so low there? Um, I imagine it, it's a confluence of factors. Um, I think there's a huge um, feeling of respecting your elders. Yeah. Um, I think that's the, that's the main guide from what I was able to pick up on because when you're you know yes the the life expectancy is lower you know so the the grandparents who might be the patriarch and matriarch of an extended family that all lives together may, may be I don't know I don't want to speculate their age maybe in their yeah. in, but but they're a bit younger than you might expect um, but they're also now at the point in their lives where they've worked already and now the culture is now it's not time for us to to work the young strong healthy people should yeah. be the ones bearing the brunt of that okay um which, which there's something to be said for um and so these kids now right knowing that they have all these chores to do when they get home in addition to them being full-time students of course um they they walk home with their with their bloody feet and there's nothing I can do about it. And I thought that that was probably the end of the road there. It was a good idea, but it didn't work out so well. And yet I come to school the next day and kids are waiting outside my classroom for me saying, hey, we're playing again today, right? <laughs> and that was a pivotal moment in my life, you know? And I realized there's all this stuff going on in these kids' lives. They just played you know, barefoot. They just walked home 10 miles with bloody feet, delaying their chores. 
and yet they're here early at school to make sure that we're playing again. Um, clearly, there was something important going on. Yeah. And this is what I was talking about a bit earlier with um, as a young as a young person playing sports and music myself, you're not aware of all these things going on that are benefiting you, how it helped me make friends, how it helped me feel confident, how it was the way to express myself safely. Um, you just play because you know it feels good, you know, but here I was as now the adult in the room, so to speak, being like, wow, like this is important to these kids. Yep. And I realized that, you know, let's figure out a way to make this work rather than bailing on the idea. Sure. And I got some internet and I, I had shut off my Facebook in, in college um, because it, it wasn't good for my brain or my heart or anything really. Um, I've since learned the value to keep in touch with people and this and that, but for a while I was just like, Ugh, let me, let me keep that over there and I'll be over here. That um, makes sense. I but I, respect yeah, 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 but I turned it back on in order to say to my network, Hey everyone, first off, I'm alive. Secondly, I'm in this beautiful place called Micronesia. And thirdly, I've met these kids that are in love with basketball. And if you could donate $30, you can give one of these kids yeah. their first ever pair of basketball sneakers that they've ever had. Amazing. And if you can donate $50, you can give one of these kids, one of my students, their first ever pair of basketball sneakers and their first ever jersey with their own name on it and they'll be enrolled onto a basketball team for the, for the year. Wow. And luckily people were really responsive. That's so great. And in a couple of weeks, thank you. Thank you. I mean, the theme that has come throughout all this, I've realized looking back is just, I've been extremely fortunate to have so many incredible, generous, thoughtful, smart people in my life that, that were willing to, take up this challenge with me and that started from this very first fundraiser of I don't know how people are going to respond but I, I tell people the situation and other people deserve tons of credit because they came through they stepped up they said I want to sponsor one of these yeah. students yeah. Um, and in a few weeks we had raised enough money so that any girl and any boy at the high school at Madelineem High School in Pompeii Micronesia could play on a basketball team with their own sneakers oh. and their own jersey practice regularly so and, how and much money did you end up raising and across how many people for that initial fundraiser um we raised a few thousand dollars mm -hmm. and it was you know we were we our goal was that any kid though everyone at the school would know that this was an opportunity and if you wanted to be a part of it then we wanted to make sure that we had enough to to, to sponsor you and it led to a varsity and a JV boys team and a varsity wow. girls team. Um, okay. So in total, it was probably about 60 kids. Amazing. That's so great. It was, it was super cool. Um, and then the you know, equipment, the, the, I'm sorry to cut you off, Jason. I was just asking, like, uh, the, how did you purchase the equipment? Did you have to, like, liaise with a manufacturer in China? Or was there some distribution channels yeah. already in place there that you could tap into? It's a great question, and I don't think anyone really has, has ever asked me that. And it's so interesting because it's something I think about, you know, I guess more than most people is like international shipping. Right. Um, 
at the time I was doing it the worst possible way you can do it, right? Like I was, I was bringing them in from like a shoe manufacturer in Dallas, you know, <laughs> which is literally on the other side of the world from yeah, Micronesia. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I had some help from, from my dad back home who was calling up some shops and trying to be really helpful. Yeah. Um, we had a neighbor who worked in, in uh, you know, who made jerseys and, and such for sports teams. So we, we placed an order through him. And in this weird combination of of of, <laughs> of shipping and manufacturing, we got things there. Now today it's done vastly different. Yeah. You know where we do our our darndest to make sure that everything we purchase is purchased locally, because that way we avoid avoid spending our donors' money on ship on shipping. Yeah. And we also avoid the negative ancillary repercussions of messing with supply chains in other countries yeah. right there are certain organizations or companies that have the right idea and they're trying to be um they're trying to support communities trying to support people but but injecting a whole bunch of free stuff has other things happen right mm -hmm. where now the shoe set the local shoe seller doesn't have any business for example exactly. to simplify yeah. it yeah, yeah. and so we and so we now put a you know we we, we really prioritize buying things locally because because we feel like the impact is much greater than, well, that's, but, but at the time we weren't so sophisticated yeah no but i mean it's great if uh you you can can get that done but it, that it, that can't happen overnight a local supply chain takes a while to to develop and so um please continue with how the progression of um uh this group and and, and kind of where you are today for sure um so to sort of tie it all up while this was happening with the boys and girls basketball teams um, and some of the most inspiring people I've met were on those teams. Um, a similar thing was happening with music where I had brought my guitar to Micronesia and I would bring it to school with me. And during my off period in my classroom, I would, I would, you know, strum away and, and, and jam a little bit. Nice. And Slowly but surely, more students started showing up to those to those periods that they were also off. I was off and they were off. They're like, hey, can we come in and, and play some music <laughs> with you? And a beautiful thing started happening where next thing I know, I'm learning songs in, you know, Pompeian, in the Pompeian language. And, they're and I'm teaching them some Beatles songs and this kind of thing. And we're singing together and we're passing the guitar around the room and people are taking turns. And um, one thing I'll say is students in, in, in Pompeii are extremely, some of them, some are shy, I guess this is everywhere, but some are really eager to get up and dance and sing wow. in front of you. Nice. Um, and so it made for a fun class. Not and quite the it, social that's what it turned into. That's really great. Yeah. And, and so, you know, next thing I know, we've got these basketball teams and we've got this music class and, and I saw the same good things happening to the kids that were participating in each students would show up to class a little more. They were a little happier oh, when I saw them. Um, they were making more friends. Say again. You created engagement. You engendered engagement. Yeah, yeah. I uh, I think you're right. Um, and so 
now things are really starting to click of like, okay, wow, like these things that I've loved all my life, um, I'm seeing now as the educator that, that, that they're doing a lot of good for these kids. Yeah. Um, you know, one of the most important things is, is it helps people's self image. Right. You know, if you're a kid that was having trouble making friends or you've got some issues at, at home and everybody's got some issues at home, everybody's got trouble making friends at some point in their life, you know, being on a team where people that you didn't necessarily talk to before are now relying on you and you're relying on them or you're singing with people and they're like, wow, you know, you're really talented or wow, you just learned that, you know, there's all these little opportunities, these little moments for people to feel better about themselves because a lot of kids are growing up and no one's telling them that they're important or that yeah. they have a lot to offer yeah. or yeah. encouraging them when they show a sign of passion or a sign of, of talent. Yeah. Um, it's actually a really great, something I took for granted my whole life. Like it's, it's so important to have people in your life being like, you're good. You're good at that. Yeah. Do that. You know, yeah. if you're enjoying that, then that's a worthwhile way to spend your time man, that's like the, that's the thing that affects all the other things. If you don't have that, then you can have the talent or the passion or the other benefits, but you may not stick with it. So I, I, I could come home after the year, after the school year, it was a one year teaching gig. And my parents, who I love, are giving me the, are you going to get a real job now speech? Um, which is fine. <laughs> you know, I, I, I get it. Um, and I essentially said to them, well, uh, I think I've sort of found my path. You know, I think I've found a way to to uh, to have an impact and to add some value to the world. Yeah. And I think it's through sports and music. Mm-hmm. And I set out to to start a nonprofit based on that idea that if that if kids in my life or kids in Micronesia um, could benefit from just having access to being part of a a sports team or a music class, well, then there must be kids all over the world whose lives could be improved through, through those opportunities. Um, Absolutely. And and yeah, the, the, the shift to kind of focus on refugee situations, how did that come up? Sure. So we incorporate and, and we're continuing to work with Micronesia. Um, And then there was this question of, of where else to, where to look first. You know, there are kids everywhere that could use this kind of stuff. And we've now had, you know, countless and countless conversations um, figure, trying to answer that question of, of how do we think about where we can expand to where we have the best chance of making a meaningful impact. Yeah. Um, and at the time, as a, as a nascent organization without much experience under our belt, the key factor was where do we have people that we trust? Yeah. that we know, even from afar, we're not going to be able to be everywhere all the time. Where do we have real relationships with real people? And there's also the need there. And there's also the desire there to have these activities. And it started in Rwanda because I had studied abroad there during college. Oh, and wow. I had some relationships there in Kigali? Um, with people that I trusted. Yep, in Kigali, exactly. Um, in Kigali is an amazing and amazing city in its own right. Um, and I love, I love going there. Now we have a few programs in, in Kigali, um, at shelters for, for children, like child rehabilitation centers, um, where they love playing music and playing ball. 
post-war um rwanda has gone through a bit of a renaissance in terms of its um uh, just uh, financially economically it's just greater stability it's become a bit of an art hub as well it's really fascinating absolutely uh, it's it's a, it's fascinating you are correct it is fascinating and like every country it, it has its fair share of problems yeah. um and you know like every government in the world, you know, there are certain things they, they're doing really well and maybe some things that, that, um, that some people disagree with. Um, but it certainly has gone through a renaissance artistically, economically. Kids there like music. Music's a part of life. And kids, I mean, it's pretty much everywhere. That's why these things are so uni you know, universal. They're universal languages, as I think you said last time we spoke. I had a, a, an old um, a classmate and close friend of mine from UNC who is incredibly bright and, and incredibly dedicated to making positive change in the world. He and his girlfriend had just spent six months, maybe more, six, six to 10 months, something like that, at a refugee camp in Greece. Um, oh, this is in, you know, maybe a year or two after the Syrian civil war started. Right. He said, man, this, this, I can't imagine there's a better place um, where, where the need is greater than right here. All they all they care about is, is soccer, you know. It's like <laughs> that's that's love to them, you know. Like yeah. that's what they're missing. Um, yeah. You know, he's like, this is why you need you guys should come here wow. because soccer changes people's lives here, yeah. and there's no one doing that. There's a ton of NGOs here, but no one's focused on the mental health aspect. No one's focused on the activity, stay busy, live a good life aspect. So I ended up moving to Greece for a few months. Um, oh, okay. and going to this camp every day. Yeah. And, and, uh, collaborating with some other NGOs, including the one that my friend had been working with. Part of that was building a soccer field at the camp. The championship games of the, of the soccer tournaments were only second to, to Eid, to the end of Ramadan, as far as right. like the joy that I saw oh, in people's experience. Yeah. Or, or, or our strategy now is to build out these hubs. And we do actually get interest and applications from people all over that want some sports and music assistance from Sierra Leone to Haiti to, to, to India to everywhere and New York. And so we, you know, we all along always had our sights set on having an impact in our own backyard. Yeah. Um, we, we know there are kids in, in, in our own community and in my own city that, that could use this stuff too. COVID has, has really changed everything. There's a hunger crisis happening right now around the world that isn't really getting a ton of, a ton of news coverage because everybody's dealing with so much right now. Yes. Um, but there was one New York Times article and the headline was something along the lines of, before coronavirus, the hunger will kill us. Mm. And that's a real thing going on. Um, and, and so we've shifted we've we've made a temporary pivot to be focusing on hunger relief in the in wow. the interim if you don't have food and water we're not sending you soccer balls um and so in uganda we've formed a coalition with another ngo and with the staff of the school um to organize a food bank wow. where we're purchasing lots of you know dry mainly dry food that is staples of the ugandan diet sugar, flour, you know, oil, cooking oil, that kind of thing. And we're putting them in three day packages 
and we are supplying the staff at the school with with the proper masks and gloves and equipment like that and there's a, we we formed a, a a food bank where there's a distribution model where the people that live nearby can come at specific times to collect their their food packages other people can get it delivered to them and it's all under this on the fly let's figure out who the most needy people are right now That's in really rwanda cool. it's similar it's similar where we're doing food you know food packages for staff members whose salaries have been cut and we're restocking the pantry for the for the kids which they've nearly depleted and yet again i need to give a lot of credit to our community of of volunteers and donors and supporters I think what you're mm-hmm. doing is 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 amazing and commendable. Uh, kudos, Jason. Thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, I appreciate it. And we're certainly going to be going back to sports and 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 music. Um, that's what we know how to do. Well, well, Jason, this has been uh, such an amazing conversation. Thank you so much for sharing um, the details about how this uh, uh, amazing vision came to fruition and all that you're doing. Thank you so much, Asim. Achieve is recorded at Subtractive in Hangar 8 at the Santa Monica Airport. Music is produced by Hennedy.